In our last session a couple of weeks ago, we really started getting into the story of Job. And in that story, we looked at Job's first friend. If you remember correctly, Job having lost everything and so many incredibly heavy things that all of us will partly and may not entirely, some of us will entirely experience in this life. But so many weighty things that have occurred to him. He is suffering now also in his body. And as he sat there in the ashes, crying out to God, his friends would come and they sit in silence with him for an entire week because, they can't, first of all, they can't even recognize him. He's so disfigured by his physical suffering, if you remember. And so they sit in silence for an entire week, just aching with their friend, which is actually a beautiful picture of Christians coming alongside one another in times of suffering, to just be present, the ministry of presence that we've talked about before. All of a sudden, Job lets out his first cry of lament, and now his friends are going to start speaking. They're going to start responding. By his speaking, they feel he gave permission for them to chime in on what they're hearing. And we went over his first friend, Eliphaz. Eliphaz speaks and he responds uh, to Job based on what he heard about his lament. Now remember Job's initial lament. Job is lamenting to God his very life. I should have never been born. Right? It would be better off, he says, if I were dead. Because then at least I would be at rest. Okay? This is Job's lament to God. Eliphaz responds. And I just want to read to you three verses that sum up, quite frankly, his friend Eliphaz's instructions to him, his response to Job's lament. Where Eliphaz says, Remember now, whoever perished being innocent. Or where were the upright ever cut off? But as for me, Job, I would seek God. And to God I would commit my cause. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. That sums up Eliphaz's response. And it's really a summary of two points that Eliphaz makes to Job's initial response, wishing he were not even alive in the midst of such suffering. And those two points are this, Job. The innocent are never chastised by God. Second point. Don't despise the chastening and discipline of God towards you because it's for you. We talked last week. First of all, what's the problem? The innocent are never chastised by God. What is he really saying about Job? You're not what? You're not innocent. You're not innocent. Something must be wrong in your heart, your soul, and your mind. So don't despise the chastening, the discipline of God, Job. Because he does this to correct all things. So what is the problem? Was Eliphaz right about Job? Was he right about Job? Was there something Job had wrong in his heart as far as his life? Was there sin in his life? No. No. See, everything that Eliphaz, and I remind you of this, everything that Eliphaz, and you're going to hear all of Job's friends say, everything they say are truths. Obviously, we should not despise the chastening of God, the discipline of God in our life. That's a truth. And the innocent shall not perish. That's a truth. All these things are words of truth. Remember what the problem was. It was the right answer to the wrong problem. 
It was the right answer to the wrong and incomplete equation that his friends had because Job had not sinned against God. And God, by the way, was not chastising Job. Okay? We remember the fact that God is going to use not only Job's suffering, but He's going to use Job's friend's wrong solution or right solution to the wrong problem. He's going to use all of that to keep Job in the playing field of lament, to keep him pressing toward God. Because what you see in Job for many, many chapters that we are not going to cover is this going back and forth. One of the friends will speak, but Job will respond. And after that response, he'll further lament towards God. And then the next friend is going to speak, and he's going to say something. And it keeps Job, even though the friends have the wrong answers. It keeps Job in, hanging on tightly to God. And that is how incredibly God uses not only our circumstances, but also our relationships with one another in this life to keep us, even when people don't necessarily have the right answers, they keep us struggling toward God. They keep us struggling toward God. Now, Job then will respond to Eliphaz. And the only thing that I want to show you, and in showing you this, I need to note where we're going today. I'm going to mention just very briefly the other two friends. I told you all along, Job is not going to be a book study. It's going to be learning how to lament. Learning how to cry out to God. Learning how to cry out to God in the midst of our suffering. What can we glean and take into ourselves when we encounter or when right now when we're in times of great suffering? And so from this point on, as I mentioned to you Job's lament, we are at that learning stage of what would be good to take into ourselves. To know how to grab onto God in the midst of suffering and continue to pursue Him in and through and beyond our pain and beyond our brokenness. So, the first thing is this in Job's response, after he responds back to Eliphaz, he turns back to God and he begins to lament. And one of his laments is this Teach me. And I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein I have erred. In all of Job's pain, he says, Teach me and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein I have erred. And last week, or two weeks ago, I mentioned, this is the very prayer that God will answer when He will, quote-unquote, show up on the scene to Job. And when God begins to reveal Himself, to present Himself to Job, what is Job's reaction? He does just this. Places His hand over His mouth. He has no room to speak anymore because all of God's perfection is before Him. And Job is being gently corrected, but also God is revealing Himself to him that Job would be made whole in this whole situation. This is the prayer. Teach me and I'll hold my tongue. Cause me to understand where I have erred. This is the prayer. One of the main points of our lament that God longs to answer. Because every time that God reveals Himself to us, particularly in the midst of our suffering, we not only see Him correctly, but who else do we end up seeing correctly? Ourselves, in the light of Him. 
This is incredibly important to get. Why? Because we were created to grow in the, to, in the image of God, to grow in His likeness all the days of our life from the garden on. So when God reveals Himself, not only does He show us that perfection to reveal Himself to us, but He also shows us how we're not quite there yet. And gives us strength and power and grace to move that direction. We see this in the Old Testament and New Testament in the lives of God's people over and over again. You know, we see it in Job, as I mentioned, with Job's experience of suffering. The revelation of God will come and we'll find that next time we meet together. And Job places his hand over his mouth and I, he basically is saying, I am humbled at what I see before me. I see myself in light of this. And he comes to this incredible repentance that God answers and begins to heal Job. We also see it in Isaiah's experience. In Isaiah chapter 6, where we're told in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah is given this blessed vision. And we've talked about this before, both in Mass and outside of Mass. Isaiah is given this vision of God in His holy and eternal temple. And when he's given that vision, what does he see before him? He sees the perfection of God. So therefore, what does he see about himself? His own imperfections. And his response is perfect where he falls on his face before God. And he says, woe is me, I am undone because of all of this. He repents. Again, God is bringing Isaiah along right where He wants him to be by His revelation that brings about repentance. But what's the next step? God has an angel take the coal from the altar of heaven and touch the lips of Isaiah, cleansing him. Cleansing him. And then Isaiah being freed from all of that when God says, Whom shall I send for me? Who will represent me? Isaiah is the first one to step forward because of what all that God had done for him. But this pattern of experience to repentance to healing is what God is about in the life of Job and all the ones that will look like regarding lament. It's so important to pray this prayer. Teach me and cause me to understand my error. Because let's think about it. When we ask God, like Job did, in the midst, think about this. In the midst of suffering, teach me. What are we really asking God to do? Think about it. There's no, there's no perfect answer on this. I just want your thoughts. When we say teach me, what are we saying? We're recognizing God as Father, which is kind of what you got into last week. And uh, we're, we're asking for our teaching Him as, you know, him to teach us as our Father, but also we're asking for our conversion. Mm. Okay. So we're seeing Him and we're recognizing Him as Father, that authority, that loving authority. Okay, good. What else? When we say teach me, what are we asking? Tell me what I need to know. Tell me what I need to know. Illumine me. Enlighten me. And how does God illumine and enlighten us? He illumines and He enlightens us by revealing Himself to us. 
God reveals himself to us. That is really what we're asking for when we say, teach me. Come and show yourself to me. Let me know you. Let me know your ways. In the midst of my suffering, I have to have you. You see, that's the teach me. And cause me to understand wherein I have erred. By your revelation, God, of all that you are, show me where I'm thinking wrong. Show me where I'm wrong and how I see you in the midst of my suffering. Show me how I am wrong in the way that I even see my circumstances that are surrounding me. Because I got news for all of you. And I will testify to this in my own life. In the times of my intense struggles, and this is whether I have struggled in my own brokenness of humanity and suffered in that as I wrestled, or in the times where everything around me was causing me suffering, when we're in times of the most incredible suffering, I'm sorry, we do not see things clearly. It is impossible for us to see truth clearly. And when we're broken and we're suffering, until the revelation of God comes to us, where He brings Himself to us in such a way that we see Him clearly, we're taking stabs at what we think are true. Because we're grasping to be rescued. We're we're grasping to be made whole, even out of our brokenness. So even in our times of great suffering and our brokenness or what life is causing us, we think we know what we need to get out of this, and so we grasp that. But the reality is, in the midst of such suffering and brokenness, all of us, the only one who can tell us what we really need and change our vision. That's what's happened. Think of times in your life when you have been the most suffering, the most broken. Your vision is not 2020, my friend. Which is why we need God through His Holy Church. The safety always of a multitude of counsel, the spiritual authority of the church in our lives, but ultimately, all of that points to one thing. We need God to reveal Himself. Then we see what we need and we go after it. Clearly. Why? Because God shares His 2020 vision with us when that connection is made. And that's why it's so important in the midst of our lament that we do say, teach me, reveal yourself to me, come and be with me here and now and correct me. Because in that correction is the only time and the only place and the only moment where peace is restored to our humanity. Period. Period. And God will, in the midst of our lament, and always remember this, when we're suffering, in that season, be it long or short, when we're suffering, God is taking not that which He needs. He doesn't desire our suffering. Always remember that. But in the midst of it, He takes our suffering And what he's doing is he is breaking up the fallow ground, allowing it to break up the fallow ground until the soil's ready. You see, Job would go through so much before God would show up. And it wasn't because God was toying with Job. 
And it wasn't because God was being cruel to Job. It was because God knew about his creation, the only point at which Job was ready to receive him. Do you get that? And God's heart is to reveal Himself in such a way with such permanent impact, permanent transformation into our lives. That he, he's not, it's not that He's gone from us during the midst of our suffering. He's always there. But when He opens our eyes is when we're ready to receive. Karen, do you have a thought? Yeah, I just was thinking that you know, Job did a lot of things. I mean, he... he um... He practiced his faith. He, he acted in it, you know. Mm-hmm. He did all these things, but then all this stuff starts happening, and I just um, you, you can you can relate to that in that you know how how much of a uh, how much of a misunderstanding do we have of God's real love love yes. God's real love not just for me but for everyone yes. God's real love and then so there you are you're in this this this. Uh, period of action, you know, with interacting with God, and you do, He does reveal Himself, you do have the, the relationship, but then it's so much bigger than what we can even imagine in our minds. And, and always, right? Always, and so then this all happens to Job, and, and there he is, and you know, I just, I mean, but I think Job is so interesting because it, it does not lay out what Job thought. I mean, he didn't live a life of doing good deeds and thinking that was some kind of a deal with God. He didn't That's live a life of, he didn't live a life of bargaining with God. No, when he didn't. came down to being sick, he didn't I mean he didn't know the winds were coming to blow everybody away. It just happened and so he didn't even have time to bargain. I'm, I'm glad you said that. No. Because one of the things that po- the fathers point out about Job constantly, he they say this that, that like you said, it wasn't about Job, you know, trying to gain on God by doing good things. What we don't, what we do know is, Job was found faithful. Yeah. yeah. Pure faithfulness. And what is that? And what is that? And we will continue to learn. But what I like, I really like what you're saying is that. And and by the way, you know, even after, like in in, in my own life, even after a number of periods of, of immense suffering and going through through the many things I personally had to go through. Even though I get that welcome, thank God, revelation of God at some point, and we connect and there's healing that takes place, I will still be the first one to say, and now what? There's so much more. And here we go again later on in another season. Because God wants to save us by constantly growing that revelation eternally, the fathers say eternally growing that revelation of God to us. Very good. I'm thanking God that Karen talked loud enough to hear. Yes, indeed. There you go. Yeah, I did. That's right. Well done, right. So Job would say, teach me and show me the error of my ways. But then he would go on to continue his lament. And this is what I love about Job and we need to see ourselves. He says such a right portion of lament in that teach me and reveal to me my errors. Okay, correct me. But then he goes back to just talking to God out of his pain. Okay? Listen to the words. Like a servant who earnestly desires the shade, and like a hired man who eagerly longs for his wages, so I've been allotted months of futility. And wearisome nights have been appointed to me when I lie down. I say, when shall I rise and the night be ended? For I have had my fill of tossing until dawn. I love Job because he's us. Man, we can hit the right prayer in the midst of our suffering, and we ought to. 
And the church gives us, as we talked about last week, in our hours of prayer and the prayer services and the mass, we have right prayers. And we need to learn the right prayers within lament like we're doing in, in, this, in these sessions. But he hits them. But then he, remember, he's still human and suffering. Still longing for God to show up. So he spirals back down. And he even gets to that point that I told you is the blessed questioning of the soul where he starts asking God questions. How long? Will you not look away from me and let me alone till I swallow my own saliva? Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target so that I am a burden to myself? And why then do you not pardon my transgression, if I have any, and take away mine iniquity? Okay, again, what you're seeing here in the ebbing and flowing is you're seeing a man function pursuing authentic relationship with God. Remember what we said last time about that? For there to be authentic relationship between man and God, God always presents Himself holy for who He is. Guess what? Man has to do the same. Present ourselves holy and unholy for all that He is. Honestly before God. And there the dance of salvation starts. Why? Because in the right prayers, Job is crying out for presence. God, come to me. Be with me. Sit with me in my suffering. And these are the questions. And the glorious thing about the questions with God is that even when our questions are out of line, even when our questions are wrong questions, they have nothing to do with the situation, the questioning of the soul, when God shows up, God is good enough to correct even our questions. And not only that, not only give us the right questions, but also give us questions we never thought we had because the questions, particularly the right ones, lend themselves to receiving that revelation of God as we pursue Him relationally. Very relational. Okay. Now let me briefly talk to you about Job's other two friends. We talked about Eliphaz. The innocent are never chastised by God, therefore, Job, you must not be innocent. Turn to God and accept His chastisement. Job's response, but I've done no wrong. I don't get this. This doesn't work in my life. I haven't done any wrong that, I, that God has revealed to me. Well, the second friend, Bildad, in a number of chapters, here's the theme of what he says to Job about his lament. Bildad says, Job, if you are blameless and upright, he will protect you. Surely God does not despise the blameless. He gives no support to evildoers. Therefore, what's he saying? Job, you're not upright. You must not be blameless. And Job responds to that, but I know that I am not Guilty before God. Job is a person that would accept it if he was. Finally, Zophar comes on the scene. And he says, Job, if there's any sin in you, remove it. He gets direct. The suffering of Job, therefore, according to Zophar, must be a result of sin. Because why? Well, under Torah obedience, when we disobey, God punishes See, he's stuck there. He can't fully see God himself. He's not saying anything wrong. There is the discipline of God in sin. For sin. To chastise, also to heal. 
Earlier I mentioned to you that like Eliphaz, the rest of Job's friends, again, have the right answer to the wrong and incomplete equation. If you'll let me for just a second, I'd like to read a few paragraphs from this on this subject, because I think that they're written so well. I think it can help us understand what's going on here. So bear with me for just a moment. Their one-dimensional, or excuse me, the one-dimensional conclusions of Job's friends are inescapable. And those conclusions are Job is in the process of perishing for something he's done. There is no mystery, only the cold, hard reality of punishment and retribution by God. In the course of this long theological exchange with his friends, the fatal fallacy of the old equation becomes blindingly clear. Is it within any of us to remove the sin from our own lives and live out a a righteousness that could satisfy God's perfection? Don't kid yourselves. Many of us live there. Many of us live there. That's the equation that's in us which shows us in so many ways we're still spiritual children. Nothing wrong with that, at least we're spiritual children. But there's much growth to be done when all we see God as as a God of retribution and I must do something to earn the lifting of the retribution. This is not God. This is not Christianity. And Job will see this when God reveals Himself. So will his friends. So will his friends. The heart of the complete equation which only Job's suffering could have given him in the arithmetic for... I'm going to read that again. This is too important. The heart of the complete equation which only Job's suffering could have given him the arithmetic for involves a God no one could possibly have imagined before. A God who takes our sin within himself to overcome our sin. How does Job maintain his sanity, his ancient faith through all the turmoil? By what means is he able to hold on to his hope, to his God, while the first notes of the song of this impossible completed equation begin to resonate? The answer, by means of the counterpoint of another song, the song of lament. Lament keeps the door open keeps Job on the dance floor with God till the music is over, until the two tunes are resolved. The frustrated outpouring allows him to stay in the ring while everyone on the sidelines shouts to him to throw in the towel. It had absolutely nothing to do with being right. It was always only about being faithful. Job has survived the prescribed number of bouts. He has finished the race. And his reward? Does he get his children back? No. He gets God back. Isn't that beautifully put? That tells us right there in that statement. Job will leave this event with scars. He doesn't get his children back. His family. His servants. His property, they're gone, as it was before. But he gets God back. He gets God back. Now, I want to fast forward through all of the many, many chapters of him dealing with his friends in that routine. 
And I want to tell you what it looks like when Job comes to the end of himself. I say that because this is the point with Job. That the soil of Job is ready to receive the seed of God. Because he's exhausted himself in all of the wrestling. <clears throat> the wrestling against his friends. The wrestling within his own pain, physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Because here is this, this one question that Job asks. Shows that he's come to his end and he's ready. He asked the question to God, Why do you hide your face from me? Why do you hide your face from me? What is Job really asking? Think about that. First of all, you can think about what he is perceiving as a reality, but what is Job asking when he says, Why do you hide your face from me? Thoughts? Mm-hmm. Maybe why didn't I see you before? Why didn't before I see fully. you? Why can't? Yeah, why can't I see you? Why haven't I seen you? Yeah, I think he's seeing God in a fuller expression than not. I mean, he's got this journey. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like he asked that early, early on, though, Father. Can we through? Is it something? Different? No, this is this is in the twenties, chapter wise. Yeah. No, he does it. He does it. He does it earlier as well. But this is right before God's going to begin, going to reveal Himself. I guess what, I have a hard time reading it. Seeing a huge change in him, except for time. Well, there's a there's a change evolving all the way through Job in 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 the way he's lamenting, pressing in towards God, and waiting. Something's going on internally. Do please do that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, he hasn't answered this question. Hmm. Has not Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think everything within Job's idea within himself of God is collapsing. <coughs> he can't. Yeah. He can't get any answer to God exactly. is from what he knows yeah. about God. It's not. He's getting ready to grow. That's why it's not about the question you read. It's about the fact that it's gone unanswered for so long, time and time again, that he's getting to the point of this. You see, right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Why do you hide your face from me? I want to put to you that perhaps and incorporate in all of the things that you've said. Why are you not with me? Job is expressing a devout desire for what? If he's saying, why do you hide your face from me? Job's heart and thoughts and perception of all things is that God is not with him. What's in Job's heart? Why won't you come, come and be with me in my suffering is the, is the cry of the heart. Give me your presence. Give me your presence. In other words, he's saying... I cannot live any longer under this without you with me. You see? I got nowhere, I have nowhere else to go. My words are done. You see? He's coming to the end of lament. It's that very prayer that I mentioned to you weeks and weeks ago. 
about that cancer patient that I, I shared with you from actually hearing a testimony, actually one of Michael Card's dear friends who had teenage kids and gotten to such cancer eaten up his body into his bones and it became excruciatingly painful not only physically but emotionally because he dearly loved his family. And in the hospital, just crying out, crying out obviously as, as we would in a situation like that, the presence of God came at one point to him in such a profound way that it totally changed his whole outlook on even his own suffering. To where he said, even if this cancer continues, even if this pain continues, and even if you take my life, just don't leave me. He'd experienced the presence of God in such a way, just don't leave me. This is the yearning Job is after. It's also that which he's going to receive very shortly after this. You see? That prayer is the second thing I want to touch on that must be a part of our lament. All the way through lamenting. Because there is no question, I don't think, in anybody's mind here, when we are going through suffering, that there are time periods in that suffering that we feel abandoned by God. Let's not kid ourselves. I don't sense you around at all, and I'm frustrated by that reality. And we're free to express that frustration, but also to cry out, why do you hide your face from me? Come and be present with me. I want to read to you from Job chapter 23, actually, when he goes in more deeply to this longing for this for God to show up in this present sense. Listen to his words. Indeed, I know my pleading is out of reach, and my hand is listless because of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. See, he, he can't find him. I just wish I knew where to find him. I know, excuse me, I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in his great power? No, but he would take note of me. There the upright could reason with him, and I would be delivered forever by my judge. Look, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. And Job continues, but he he is unique. And who can make him change? And whatever he has willed, that he has done. Listen, even in the midst of Job's disappointment and pain at the absence, perceived absence of God, he concludes, Therefore, I will pursue him zealously. Job never loses his faithfulness. Okay? He loses his perspective. He loses his understanding of God. And he loses the ability to know that God is near. But what he never loses is the faithful pursuit. He always comes back to that. And that's what God is looking for in all of us. For that relationship to be complete. What we're going to do when we return in a a few weeks down the road. Is now that Job is ready. We're going to see the revelation of God to Job. And we're going to see the result of that revelation. And then we're going to pursue some other folks in the Old Testament to learn from their lament. Okay? Let's stand.